everybody. Thanks for tuning in to episode six of Justified Pursuit. Cable Smith along with Chisholm Cook. We've got an interesting topic to get into today, Chisholm, one that I don't believe we see eye to eye on. And that, my friend, is something you brought to the table in a conversation we had the other day off the air about reparations. I guess I'm going to turn it over to you at this point as we get rolling here and uh, you can explain exactly what your take is and how and you know if this could be beneficial for America moving forward. Okay, thanks Cable. So at this point just to start I would refer everyone again to the Mofax with Adam Curry podcast. Um, it was Mofax that um, I, I guess articulated an argument that made sense to me uh, mm-hmm. that I'll, I guess I'll share at this point. Um, Did they actually not, reference not, our podcast recently? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Not necessarily. Well, actually in some relation to this, yeah. I, uh, they do this thing. uh they call it value for value, but basically they don't have any advertising, uh-huh. um, which allows them to speak freely uh, as you know, they see it on basically any topic. But what they ask is that listeners who find value in what they're putting out there, which is one of the most like thoroughly researched and sort of structured freeform conversations you, you could ever listen to. Uh, my point just being that they put a lot of work into it and it's been hugely valuable to me. Um, so anyway, they ask that you kick them whatever you can, uh, and that's how they fund their podcast. So I did that and wrote a little email on this reparations topic and on their um, uh, what we talked about in, I think, one of the last podcasts about their position on sort of the war on manhood and masculinity and mm-hmm. you know a couple other points like that. And yeah, they read it and uh, mentioned what we're trying to do on it. So that was pretty cool. Um, it's one nice. of the cool things, I think, generally about podcasts is that there's not really competition right there's no time slots there's no overlap it's just people listen when they listen so yeah it's like one of the most collegiate sort of uh i don't know if it's an industry but business is out there um but anyway mo detailed i i would say first i wasn't ever adamantly against reparations it just wasn't anything i'd ever put a lot of thought to And I think it was in large part because I can see the hurdles, the challenges, Mm -hmm. the pitfalls, and it's like, how are we ever going to get over those, right? So um, I just hadn't thought about it. But well, I've thought about it, and I've thought, man, that's that seems ridiculous. So (laughs) when you brought it to me the other day off the air, I was like, you're going to have to talk me into this because this seems absurd. Why should I be paying? for the sins of people 250 years ago, essentially. Why am I, why am I paying, footing the bill for what they did, right? So anyway, go on. Well, they would say you personally wouldn't. Um, although I do kind of want to write them back on, on that topic. So when they, when they read my kind of proposal on the matter, they, they made the point. Have you ever heard of modern monetary theory? No. So modern monetary theory is this like, new age economic theory that basically says, you know, more or less ever since we transitioned off the gold standard and and money just became numbers on the internet, which is pretty much what it is. I mean, yeah, there's some cash, but I think it, I think I've heard something like only 15 or 20% of all the dollar U S dollars that are out in quote circulation are actually backed by cash. Did you know that? Well, that is cash. So backed by gold or something? No, no, no. No. I'm saying that all the dollar bills that are accounted for in bank accounts and assets across the globe. Oh. That that have all those dollars, because think about it. I mean, loans are made, right? Like all those dollars are only backed by 13, only like 15 to 20%. I think that's the figure. Of actual cash money. Okay. That's right. Of actual dollar bills in circulation printed, right? Gotcha. So 80% of all the U.S. dollar wealth denoted in U.S. dollars is, is just on, it's just computer figures, right? Really, that's all there are, right? And so anyway, modern monetary theory basically says that you can just keep making up that fake money forever. I mean, I've always thought it's even funny at the end of the day that what, what value does a dollar bill have besides starting a fire? If you really think about it, it's just paper, right? Right. 
It's it's a number that represents something that says the uh, what's it says it on the dollar, but you know basically the that the U.S. government will honor it, right? Well, if they'll honor it, they can keep printing it, or not even printing it, but just pumping it into the economy electronically, right? The so bubble has to burst eventually, though. I don't I don't believe in it, that one second. It seems that way, and that's my approach to it until proven otherwise. That's why it's called modern monetary quote theory right not fact right but i mean regardless so gotta pay the piper eventually i mean that's just that's hogwash so the- their point is as long as we're the world's reserve currency we can continue to crank out 10 trillions of dollars in various stimuluses at the drop of a hat which we've done already once this year and look to do again before the election right yeah um if and when we ever stop being the world's reserve currency, then that's the kind of thing that could, I, I guess, trigger like a hyperinflation situation where, you know, it doesn't matter how much you have in the bank, you can't afford bread. Here's Either a way. wheelbarrow full of money. Can I just get a loaf of bread? Right. <laughs> and to your point, that's my fear. And it was why I put in front of them the sort of proposal I did on this reparation concept. And, and I'll get to that. But um, long story short, Mo started off by saying, what are reparations? And I've got the definition right in front of me, okay? Okay. There, there's several you can go online, but they all more or less say the same thing. Rep, the word reparation is a noun, and it means making amends for wrong or injury done. Okay. His position, and I agree with it, is slavery was a wrong perpetrated against uh, the ancestors of, of now a, a whole group of people in the United States that set them back uh, or at least set them far enough behind the eight ball in the evolution of American society that in, you know many subsets of, of those people's descendants are still struggling today. I listened to that analysis after doing some reading and thinking about race relations and, and, and the concept of systemic racism during the course of this summer. Um, some things I had never thought about, but, you know, we brought, we, I'm, I'm not going to use the word we, cause to your point, I didn't do a damn thing. Right. But the, hmm. the, the colonialists and then early Americans brought African slaves here, um, for close to 200 some odd years, over 200 years, I guess, before the Civil War, the Emancipation Proclamation, and then the gradual progress that was made after that, right? So you had a system in place where these slavers would go and they would forcibly remove these people from their tribe, from their homeland. Well, I think it's important, though, to point out that that's not always the case because of many times... The African slave traders yeah, were I, Africans. I don't, I don't, I know, and I don't really care. Oh, okay, yeah, but it's important the to say is, this wasn't a white people like were white stripped. people captured. I don't care who, I don't care who did it. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I'm, I don't, I'm just saying, I don't care. The point is what it did to the humans. Okay, sure. I, I don't care who did it, and the point is one of the th- necessary steps of creating a slave market is to detach those human beings from any existence previously from any generational wisdom or culture that they were once part of. Right. Mm. They had to literally physically beat that out of those people and then suppress it for the next 200 years. We all know they did terrible things. Uh, Again, they, I don't care who they were. They, those who were involved in the slave market, they bred these human beings together like livestock and then separated the mothers and the fathers, the children from the mothers, right? Mm -hmm. They they, they literally treated them like livestock in that regard. Right. So not only was whatever, you know, whatever inherited culture they would have come here with literally beaten out of them. But then for the next 200 years, they weren't really allowed to establish a culture. They were not allowed to be taught to read. Right. That, suppression of a identity was deliberate for a couple of hundred years. Then 
there was the Emancipation Proclamation and a promise by the union of 40 acres and a mule, which was never paid, right? Yeah, I don't want to get into that later because uh, I think there's certainly more to dive into on the, the 40 acres and a mule topic, but continue. Right, and then so, you know, these, these people who had been systematically, I mean, oppressed doesn't really even cover it, right? Uh, enslaved for a couple hundred years were, were set free and told kind of good luck, right? And obviously there was huge dissension, massive racism, Several generations of, of people continued to, to look at those, you know, freed slaves and maybe the first generation after the free slaves as maybe human beings, but certainly not uh, fully Equals. human, right? right. They're certainly not equal, right? And right. I'd say many of them didn't really even look at them like human beings. Uh, Mo has this one audio clip that he plays from a guy in the 60s from Georgia who was being interviewed by a black man and he said, you know, what did you think we were before y'all realized we were humans? And he's like, oh, we thought of y'all as, he talked in this pretty country Southern accent, we thought of y'all as very advanced pets that required being cared for. And it's like, geez, man, I mean, this was in the sixties. Yeah, it was terrible. So, and then then we all know about Jim Crow and segregation, right? I mean, it's not as though the Emancipation Proclamation got anywhere near putting people on, it, on equal footing. And in fact, for the next hundred plus years, and some may argue right up until today, at least through the Biden-Clinton crime bill of the 90s, a lot of things were done that hurt the American, you know, what he refers to and what a good number of, of African-Americans in this country are now referring to as the American descendants of slavery or just descendants of slavery. Um, and I say that in, a, in a juxtaposed or as, as separate from like black generally or people of color generally, which is what the left likes to refer to as to lump everybody into the oppression of this one group that really had it rough. Like Kamala. Right? Has nothing to, right. She's in, she's India, Indian and Jamaican, right? right? No ties to American slavery whatsoever. Perfect example. Yeah. President Obama, same thing. <clears throat> um, so when he talks about it in terms of, you know, he, like I said, he pointed out the definition, right? To making amends for a wrongdoing. Yeah. Well, Repairing, the word there is repair. So. Exactly. Bingo. Right. It's, 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 in, it's in the word. Right. And but then further, he talked about like he talked about it in terms of of a debt owed for services rendered. And that's that really got my attention because nobody in their right mind would deny the role that those slaves played in the foundation of this country. I'm not on board with the 1619 Project BS that this country was, you know, founded for slavery and for its perpetuity. But there's no doubt that it was a large part of its initial construction and certainly initial economy was off of the back of slave labor. Nobody can really argue that. I mean, the Southern agricultural industry was the United States economy for hundreds of years and it was propped up by slavery. Right. And so, like I said, he, he talked about it in terms of a debt owed for services rendered. And it, then of course you can easily go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, and, and I don't know like the historical context here, but during that time period, uh, 1700s, you know, mid 1700s, do you know what England's slave climate was like? Were they domestically importing slaves or was their approach more of like uh, colonialism and we'll just go to where the slaves are, enslave them there and then import their, you know, the fruits of their labor back to England. I wonder because when these people started leaving England for, you know, by and large religious uh, persecution reasons and coming to the new world, were they bringing slaves with them initially or was that something that came about later? Going back to your 1619 thing, I don't know. Well, okay, so Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria came over in the 1500s. The first slave ship didn't arrive till 1619, according to the times. Okay. So to your point, there were people here, people, <laughs> there were people here before all that. There were white people, Anglo-Saxon people, 
Europeans here for um, probably close to a century and a half before the first slave ships arrived. I, I guess, again, I, I don't know that it, I don't, I certainly understand England's role in this to your question. I, I don't believe slavery was permitted in England at the time. It was a neat little workaround that they had, that they had these colonies yeah. with this abundance of resources and they could arrange this slave trade into the U S without uh, upsetting, you know, the apple cart back home. What a um, scam. <laughs> oh, it was a total scam, you know, but, but it doesn't, I guess it doesn't, like our shit doesn't like, stink because we don't personally have slaves in our house yet. Here we are. We've got all of Northern Africa enslaved and are importing their goods and service. You know the the services rendered through slavery back into our society. But you know, right. it's like if you don't yeah. if you don't see it, then does it really exist? Exactly, and more importantly, because they didn't have to pay for that labor think about how much cheaper all of those goods were than if they had to pay a fair wage for that labor. Right. By the time it got to England, it'd be unaffordable. So to your point, whether they were relying on it inside their own boundaries or not relying on, I mean, it on slave labor inside the bank boundaries of great Britain, uh, doesn't really matter. They were certainly dependent on it in propping up or, you know, suppressing the price they were paying for sugar and cotton. Right. right. <clears throat> so yeah, it, 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 it was, they weren't just a, they certainly weren't just a, like a, a lucky beneficiary. It was, you know, it was, you know, what was good for the gander or whatever. Right. Like they were, they were profiting off of it knowingly and, and by design, but, but all that being said, like, I, well, I did just look it up at some point. We actually, have to, they didn't actually abolish slavery in England until like, uh, 1807. And the and then 1833, uh, I guess they started the process in 1807. Then 1833, the Slavery Abolition Act. So they really weren't that, that far ahead. Far ahead of the yeah. curve on slavery, you know, compared to our own situation. Right. I mean, I guess they probably just didn't have the white, the big plantations and stuff like that. Probably that that aspect of their economy was more reliant on the Northern Africa stuff. So. Sure. I mean, you got to keep in mind that they had stumbled into this vast continent abundant with farmland and timber and, you know, all the resources that the, that the earth can provide versus this tiny little island that was too far north that was pretty rocky and had a pretty crummy climate, right? Mm -hmm. And it had been inhabited for a couple thousand years, you know, and it was pretty well divvied up, I guess. Yeah, I, but coming back to sort of to my point, I, I don't England's role is irrelevant to me. In 1776, when we signed the Declaration of Independence and then later the Constitution, slavery was here. And we went so far as to, you know, mandate in the Constitution that a that, that slaves were counted as three fifths of a human. Every slave in America was three fifths of a vote for uh to be cast by the, the slave owner, right? So mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying is, and I, you know for sure. Talking I about stacking the, United, the deck. <laughs> well, yeah, right, first of all. And, but, but second of all, I mean, as I support the Constitution 100%. It has been amended to correct for this. But to say it wasn't a part of the fabric of American society when we created and founded America would certainly be bullshit. I mean, it just wouldn't be true, right? It's, it's, right. In, it's in the Constitution, the original copy, which is still housed in DC. So, you know, and then it was maintained for the next 1863 is when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. So just shy of 100 years later, we got serious about this. Now, along the way, again, to counter the 1619 narrative, within three years of signing of the Declaration of Independence, three of the 13 colonies had used the words of the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal to abolish slavery. Mm -hmm. So there was there was a concerted effort at the time of signing. There were a number of people who were adamant about eliminating this sin from American society from day one, but there was dissension. There were many who were profiting off of it. Um, in fact, the terms, the term life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that is actually, that was 
changed from John Locke, uh, the great, I guess, middle century, kind of middle ages uh, philosopher, political mm -hmm. philosopher, who who called it, who wrote life, liberty, and property. Uh, those are, you know, the, the aims of, of freedom, basically. They didn't want to use the word. There were, there were those who lobbied with Jefferson and Madison to not refer to freedom. I'm sorry, to property uh, because they didn't want to reinforce slavery. So they replaced it with the pursuit of happiness. Anyway, that's not something you'll hear from the 1619 project or any modern historian for that matter, unfortunately, mm -hmm. or not very many, not very many of them anyway, but I, I want to get back to the idea of, of debt, debt owed for services rendered. So, so these people helped build this country and they never got a dollar for it. They never got their 40 acres in the mule. They were cast out. They ended up sharecroppers and sharecropping meant that they worked somebody else's land. Oftentimes for, they would, produce a crop for the, the, the owner of the sharecropping institution and all they would get in return was the right to live in a, in a, you know, dirt and log hut on the property. Well, sharecropping no is like glorified slavery is what it was. Exactly. That's what it was. Right. So, so even once we say we eliminated slavery, it's hard to argue that we really did. And in fact, man, I don't have it at the, my fingertips, but even into the 1940s, there is a story of, essentially a plantation in the sugarcane fields of Florida where some black folks escaped and they were chased down, apprehended and dragged back against their will to this place wow. in the 1940s, man, Google that. I'm pretty sure it was the forties. It was well after 1900. So yeah, between sharecropping and that kind of crap and all the other stuff, like let's just say it ended in 1863. It, it really didn't. The point being, it's really hard to argue that after systematically spending 200 years destroying any semblance of culture and normal family structure, right? And then letting those folks quote unquote free, but not giving them any means by which to live, right? That there's, right. there's no doubt that, that, you know, that today's descendants of slavery who are, you know, well-educated, well-to-do, you know, family folks like those people have climbed a mountain, mountain, I mean, Everest. And there are big pockets, big groups within this country who I, I believe it is fair to say, do still suffer that legacy, which have we talked about the no man in the house stuff? I mean, I can't remember yet? if we have, but mention it again for anyone that's not familiar with it. Cause it is yeah, about up. something that I think lends itself to negative consequences from an african-american oh standpoint whether it was intended to be that way or not i don't know but the outcome yeah. wasn't beneficial toward to them right the the fact is that even after the 1964 civil rights act a number of government policies have been pressed that have further dissolved or or harmed the african-american community in this country what I just mentioned, the first of those being what were called no man in the no man in the house or no man about the house rules. So, you know, after civil rights, we had uh, Johnson came up came up basically with the welfare fair program, and um, and federal housing. Both of those programs, welfare and federal housing, had rules in place into the 70s, and I, if I'm not mistaken, maybe even into the early 80s, where they said that you could not collect a welfare check or be provided federal housing if there was a man living in your home. So they offered money to these African-American women who had children, but they weren't allowed to touch it if a man lived in their home. Absurd. Didn't matter. Yeah, it didn't matter if he had lost his job. They couldn't get it temporarily. Like, he just could not be there. And they would send in inspectors, investigators, in the middle of the night, beating on doors. They drove them out intentionally. And, you know, you can say, oh, well, you know, dad shouldn't let that happen. But it's like, well, if you're making at the time, maybe three bucks an hour in a, you know, who knows what kind of awful, you know, a coal mine or, you know, a chicken plant or something. Mm -hmm. And somebody's offering you housing or some cash to assist. You're really asking somebody to be one hellaciously moral human being to say, nope, you know what? We don't need that, right? 
Right. So anyway, the point being, and then, and then you get into the eighties with the, with the war on drugs, which has been an abject and utter failure and ultimately has led to the rise of some of the most sadistic, uh, you know, criminals in terms of the cartels down in Mexico that North America has ever seen. Right. But specifically, <laughs> not to mention during this time when we were taking on the war on drugs, the United States CIA was bringing cocaine in from Central America as part of the Iran-Contra affair and then shipping them guns and ammunition to fight against communist revolutionaries, right? But then ultimately that cocaine, a vast majority of it ended up being converted into crack and sold in the streets, largely to African-American communities in places like Compton and based out of Maynard, Arkansas, which is the whole point of that Tom Cruise movie that I can't think of off the top of my head. Anyway, you know, the CIA was pumping cocaine in the United States that was ultimately, I mean, crack is terrible, right? And then simultaneously in the drug war, they created I don't know. Laws. I suppose. I never tried it, so. Yeah, well, it's supposed to be. It's not a good drug. <laughs> They, I have not either, but they, but they pass a law and during all that, that said that crack was that the sentencing for crack would be 100 years to one for cocaine. So if you have us with crack, drug. it's the same damn drug. It is literally the same drug only in a rock form versus a powdered form, except that oftentimes crack due to the nature of where it's consumed and how it gets adulterated and watered down with baking soda and whatever else and probably household chemicals. So maybe sometimes it's, it's worse because of what they cut it with. But the point is it's the same damn drug, a hundred right. to one. What's the real difference? Generally speaking, poor black folks use crack and rich white folks use Coke. Mm -hmm. That's all I can see. Um, fast forward to the nineties and Joe Biden wrote the crime bill where they referred to young black gangsters as super predators why did they end up super predators maybe because since the 60s their dads had been driven away from their mothers maybe all right but then we incarcerated some dude i don't even remember the numbers but some ridiculous number of african-american particularly young african-american men we very Kamala specifically went that. yeah no dude <laughs> that party that that ticket is so there's a lot of black men in this country and again, I'd say listen to MoFax, but uh, he paints a picture of of an awakening in in black society right now. They're not nobody is fooled by these two, other than leftists, basically. Like their track record on this race stuff is atrocious. It's pretty funny, in fact. I thought about this the other day, and I did want to mention it that Kamala chose to go after Joe Biden for busing in those debates, which he was against back in the 70s, which 70% of African-Americans at the time were against because nobody wanted their kid to get on a bus and go all the way across a city to go to a school that they'd never even visited mm -hmm. with a bunch of people they didn't know. Nobody was for it. But she made it out to be like he was a racist because of that. What she didn't bring up was his authoring the crime bill, which was way worse than him being against busing. Why wouldn't she bring that up? Right. No Democrats well, want to even acknowledge it. And because that's right. And because she's the top cop of California. Exactly. Yeah. And she's absolutely got and, a track record just as bad or worse. Give some context to what we're talking about with Kamala. She's put countless African-Americans in jail for stuff like having uh, a couple grams of weed on them. Right. Or again, truancy, which means their kids were late to school. Right. Like, you know, how's it going to help that kid? Right. Well, just getting back to corporations, like what? Right. Okay. So, so the systematic sort of oppression of, of black people, intentional or otherwise, when you line all that out on a decade by decade basis, it's pretty hard for me to assume that it wasn't intentional, but let's all give them the benefit of the doubt and say that every one of those policies had great intentions. Well, how could it not be intentional when Johnson Dude, said specifically, if we can get the black vote, we'll never lose it. Hey, I'll t well, there you go. That's intentional. But I, would say, I mean, yeah. That's, that's an intentional oppression. And you're getting them to suck on your, your teat of giving them free shit. And, and that's why they keep voting for you. Even though 
the free shit ain't all that great because it comes yeah, with i mean it comes with i mean you're you're living in poverty and they're 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 facilitating you not want, hey have another kid without a father here's more money we're going to incentivize it keep voting for us but the other side of it too is you know because because how, do, how does that alone obscure or hide all of these clearly treacherous and, and horrible things that they did in the meantime to strip particularly again black men from that community like you know how does just a few hundred bucks a month persuade folks to vote that direction when you know again all, all their men are either being imprisoned or, or you know due to the conditions and killing each other right well it's i i mean my my belief is that and this is what mo really highlights is that the emotional appeal of the left to oppression rings uh rings much i mean it rings true to people who feel and believe they are oppressed and who i would argue clearly were and 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 have been you know what i saw on instagram today i saw a white Many of those Go ahead. i saw a white college male flying a trump flag off of the second story of his apartment and a white same age you know junior senior college female scaling up the drain of his apartment to try to rip his trump flag down he caught her and videoed her and she said you're a racist what like that's that's what i don't get is how voting or being right wing i mean if you vote for trump you're a racist going back to what you said the emotional um draw that that the left has somehow they've labeled us all racist and people believe that right and um again i would refer everybody to mo him and adam he and this guy adam curry the pod father the original podcaster one of their sort of i'd say main expertises is basically how the powers that be utilize psychological warfare to keep to, to control the minds of the populace mm. um and they detail it exquisitely over many many hours with real audio uh real studies that they can cite to it's unbelievable but to your point again it's the gaslighting of america you can't look at the history of the Democrats and, and, and say unequivocally, these people have been good for black folks. You, right. just, you just can't. Now, the right has plenty of its own. Sorry, I had a fly buzzing around my face. The right has its own plenty, yeah. history, right? I mean, like I said, Reagan and Bush were doing all sorts of terrible things. Oh, by the way, you, you know when I mentioned the CIA was flying all those drugs in to Arkansas. I mean, is, do, do we need to fact check that? Or is that, is like, dude, no, it's a hundred percent real. There are federal documents that have been released about it. Okay. That's real. Okay. That happened. That movie, it's based on a true story. I don't want to just come across like the left where you just say something that makes it true. So Google it. If you, okay. anybody who thinks anything, any one of us, either of us says is crap or slanted, look it up. Okay. But find a, find a, find a, fair outlet for it right sure but that did happen like i said they made a movie about it what what i wanted to say was do you know who the governor of arkansas was during that time clinton bingo this chain we're talking about let's get back to reparations forget it man that's a whole rabbit hole on itself so anyway debt debt owed for services rendered i started thinking about it he talks about it as an inheritance he being Mo facts, right? Sure. He's like, this was our inheritance that we were robbed of. And I look at it and say, I want to live in a country where whatever I do in my lifetime, I can pass down to my children. And the Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warrens of the world and the state of California is hard after this at the moment would say, you shouldn't get to inherit your family's wealth. Um, that's not fair. It lets you and your descendants continue to be propped up and keeps you rich, we should just take that money and redistribute it. Um, I don't, I'm not for that, right? 
So when I look at it in those terms, and I know there are powers pressing for that today that I would fight against, and then I think about the concept of reparations and the contribution that those slaves made to the construction of America and the conditions that their descendants are in today, where would they be had they gotten their 40 acres and a mule or something by which their family, their, those people could have you know, built the life around that, that could have been passed down from generation to generation to generation to today. Maybe it would all be gone. Maybe only half of them would have anything, but in theory, you can't argue it would not have helped at all. You just can't because you can't know. You can't know, right? So I look nope. at it and I say, if I want to be able to pass something down to my heirs, this damage that was done to this community by actions of the United States from its inception, they deserve to be compensated for their efforts. They're no longer here. Their descendants are. Their descendants in many ways are still suffering from that wrongdoing. Let's make amends. Let's repair the situation. Let's pay the reparations. But in exchange, we're done talking about slavery. And that is the key, right? This is not Whoa, a symbolic yeah. gesture. And I know it's easy to dismiss. I would say on Mo's behalf, that's one of the contingents he's talking about. Real reparations, right? Not like 500 bucks, but something that's based on some level of reality for what was done to those people. He would say, that's, that is, he talks about it in terms of atonement. That's another definition of reparation. It is to fix a wrongdoing. So right. it is by definition an atonement. It is the United States government saying, we did something terrible and we're atoning for it. Well, okay. And, and Based it, off and it's of not, your modern, uh, modern money theory, uh, we could just print all the fake money we want, distribute it to... Which we do regularly. Right. Distribute it to these... And, and, and to your point, they have to be descendants of slaves. You can't just yep. have showed which, up from Nigeria... 20 years ago and expect you're going to get reparations. Which, by the way, you know, we're having this conversation and we haven't even touched on it yet, but California made some news over the end of last week or the weekend Saw that. about all they're up to, all they're doing is undertaking a study, right? They haven't really done a whole lot. Yeah. But if you read about it, they're saying specifically descendants of slaves, but also all other black people who are in a tight spot. So, well, that's, I mean, okay. No, it's, well, then I'm against it. Hold on. The American descendants of slavery are not saying that. And Mo would not, I, I haven't heard him speak to it yet because it came out since their last episode. But my guess would be having listened to many hours of this guy, he would not support that. Because to your point, only those who are the descendants of the people who actually suffered under that bondage would be owed that debt. Not somebody who you know even if they came here and have lived in squalor does not have the lineage he talks about lineage a lot and most of us especially their family men appreciate lineage right to your point the 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 descendants of american slavery by and large from what he says doesn't doesn't sound to me like the majority of them or, or certainly not yeah, it doesn't sound like a majority of them would support giving reparations to people who were not and could not prove their lineage. To well, let me tell you why, because that's freaking racist. Like, now you're just handing out money to poor people based off skin color. There's Hispanics that need financial assistance. There's white people. There's, you know, the, the list 100%. is endless. So that's racist. Yeah, I mean, why are you, nothing that ever comes out of California works or is good. I, I, it's garbage. All it is is a symbolic gesture. The interesting thing, though, dude, the really, really interesting thing is there's a reason why they're doing that. Barack Obama in 2008 got 67% turnout of registered black voters. Of those 67% who got out and voted, 95% voted for him, right? Mm -hmm. Then in his next election, it actually fell down to 63%. Still, you know, pushing a two-thirds majority of registered black voters turned out and still 95% voted for him, right? But there's a reason why it ticked down some, and that is a lot of black folks, and in particular, again, I'm, I'm telling y'all what Mo has shared with the world, but a lot of 
<laughs> straight, heterosexual, black family men started looking at it and saying, I don't think Obama's really got our back here. And that's a whole other podcast we should have a talk about. Well, it's no but, secret that race relations started to go in, you know, to shit when Obama was president, which is ironic since he was our first African-American president. Yeah, but it is a secret that he is the heir to a fortune and that his stepfather, an Indonesian man named uh, Lolo Sotoro, was uh, basically in cahoots with the Bush CIA back as far as the 60s mm -hmm. uh, and a huge oil baron and that um, everything we think we know about Barack Obama is a lie. But we'll, again, I'll just table that. Well, so here's a question. Look into it. Who... How do we fund this? I mean, is it taxpayer dollars or is it just government printing fake money? How much is a fair sum? Is the next question. Yeah. So there's, there's certainly a lot of work to be done to figure all that out, right? And I do think that's where the door gets open to some, uh, certainly dissension, right? Um, I don't know that there's a scenario where every, single descendant of American slavery is, is going to be perfectly satisfied with what could be worked out. And that doesn't mean that we can't and shouldn't try, right? Just because something's hard and, you know, has a number of ways it could fail doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. A wrong was done here and nobody in their right mind denies that. We hit, we paid reparations to the Japanese who were, uh, placed in prison camps after the attack on Pearl Harbor during World War II. We paid reparations on a number of fronts to Native Americans for lots of different things, you know, including nearly eradicating them from the face of the earth, and then later for you know, taking lands that had been promised to them and all sorts of things. We paid reparation to Hawaiian, Native Hawaiians who were almost wiped from the face of the earth, to the Tuskegee Airmen, for the atrocities committed on them by the American government um, to a group of people. And I'd never heard of this, but most, but a group of, uh, I think it was tens of thousands of poor folks, particularly, you know, many of whom were African-Americans in North Carolina who uh, early in the, I guess, 20th century underwent forced sterilization by I think the state of North Carolina. Wow. And then we paid reparations uh, most recently in like 2013 to residents of Southside Chicago who had been systematically like tortured, beaten, all sorts of stuff by the Chicago PD over a period of time. Um, there was reparations paid out for that. Uh, there was also an incidence of reparations paid in Florida for a massacre going back to the 20s where a black man was accused of, I think, sexually assaulting a white lady and a mob of angry white people stormed into this basically black community and burned a bunch of stuff to the ground and killed like six people. Those folks got paid reparations. So my point is, it's not unprecedented. And then, you know, we got no problem bailing the banks out with trillions of dollars when their own greed leads to an economic collapse. Sure. Uh, bailing out the auto industry, bailing out the airline industry, bailing out the American people. Now, you know, the, this bailout this year was paid because the government stepped in and said, y'all aren't allowed to do anything. And that tanked the economy, but that's the government paying for its own action, mm -hmm. which is what the sentence of slavery would argue. So, to your point about like, where does the money come from and all that stuff? The government doesn't have any problem coming up with this money when it's something they feel is necessary and warranted. And I think if I was a descendant of slavery who knew my family history and knew for a fact that my great grandfather had been subject to slavery, right? Maybe my grandfather was a sharecropper himself, right? We're not mm -hmm. talking about, Dude, I, I knew two of my great-grandfathers as a child. One died when I was pretty young. One lived well into his 90s and didn't die until I was like 10 or 11 years old. You know, these are, I'm talking about generations that in theory, these descendants of slavery could have actually known. Certainly their parents 
may have known, right? Um, I could see if I was in those shoes looking at all the handouts that the government is willing to break out despite claims of being broke with Republican support um, to the tunes of trillions. Let me put it this way. I did this in math earlier. $2 trillion is roughly what the stimulus of the spring was, right? Sure. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. There's 43, roughly 45 million African-Americans in the country. And that is just like African-Americans. I don't have any idea what percentage of that could, could technically trace a lineage to slavery. But let's say all of them. $2 trillion divided by 43.5 million people is 45000 bucks a head. I, I got to imagine. Hell yeah, it's substantial. And again, cut that check like it was nothing six months ago. All right, so I don't want to get too long-winded here. Um, so I guess my point would be, okay, $45,000 per, and we're done, right? We're done. We don't ever want to hear about it again. But yep. the reality is that's not going to work because people are still going to bitch. They're going to want more. Chisholm, they're going to want more. Uh, they're going to, and, and, you know, you could say this is a fair stereotype or not, but some of them are going to blow all the money and then they're going to be right back below the poverty line. Once again, depending on welfare, bitching about how, man, life really gave me a shitty hand. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not, you're, you're kind of talking me into, maybe this is a good idea, but I'm playing the devil's advocate and I'm just telling you, a lot of people are not going to be okay with it. And these are the reasons why it's still going to be woe is me. Okay. You blew through your $45,000 on crap you didn't need. And now you're right back to square one. And how is that different than any of the bailouts that I just listed? Not saying it's any different. Well, I'm, but, but it's, a, but that's, that's my, that's my response. But my, my, how is my, it any different? What I'm saying to you is so, what good did it do at the end of the day? It we, doesn't, we, we all so, felt great about so, it. We handed out two trillion dollars and here's the reparations have been paid now what it didn't change anything nothing well nothing changed we're still the same place we were okay well you're saying nothing changes though this has happened and it hasn't first of all so you're, you're you're proceeding with the assumption it would not change anything and i'll grant the premise for sake of the argument one of the things that one of the one of the one of the uh, clips that Mo likes to play a lot. He's, he's big on Malcolm X. And I've always been somewhat interested in Malcolm X, but I'll be honest with you, I hadn't done the work to understand fully his entire legacy. I just knew that who he was changed over time. His message changed over time, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go back and listen to some of the things he was saying, I, I may have dropped this on one of these podcasts, or maybe it was just in a private conversation. It's hard to keep this, those straight, but there's this great clip where he talks about white liberals being the foxes in what he compared to the white conservatives being basically the wolf. And he was saying, I'd always rather deal with a wolf because I know what the wolf intention his tensions is. And the wolf will come straight at my face. The fox is going to pick my pocket behind my back. Right. Mm. He had a lot of foresight into, um, you know, kind of th this dynamic that we still face today. But the other thing he plays a lot is this clip of, Mal of Malcolm X explaining, none of this will ever get better until we sit a white man down in a room across the table from a black man, and the two understand that they're going to have an open conversation. I wish I had the exact quote, but he basically says, and the black man cannot be offended by anything. The, the white man must know that the black man will not be offended by anything he has to say. And the white man must know you know, and vice versa, whatever. Like, right. Right, like both parties have to be willing and able to have a frank, open, unbridled conversation about the problem. To your point, that's why going back to a minute ago, this would be contingent on the notion that forevermore, the U S government itself, and the citizens of this government could stand and say, when someone throws, well, what about slavery in your face? We atoned for that. We paid reparations for that. Move on. That doesn't mean they won't try. Yeah. That doesn't mean there won't at times be that argument, but it would be a 
undeniable concrete gesture. And, and, and dude, I mean, you know, I'm willing to take some black folks at their word who say this would help. This would help heal the wounds, not only in addition to help healing our pocketbooks, right? I mean, they're out there saying it. Yeah. They'll owe us reparations. I, saying, my, my take is like, I just think you're opening up a can of worms that now, okay, you've paid them. And you can say all you want that we'll never do it again. But then, you, you know, I, I think it, it's like gun control. Give them an inch, they take a mile. And this isn't aimed. It's like, don't, please don't misconstrue what I'm saying is like a shot at African. Yeah, you're using the word they very generally, right? I, I get yes, that, right? Yes, exactly. Not, you don't mean, no. In, you mean in general, human beings. Right. Will come back to, yes. Yes, I'm, okay. I'm, you have given us more milk from the teat. And we're back for more. We want more. We want more. We want more. Give us, give okay. us another but, one. But, what, but what's our, our, our alternative? Status quo. Continue on like we are. Let people who believe that reparations are due continue to point to all the crap I've outlined so far in terms of actual reparations paid and the various different bailouts that we see on an annual basis get handed out. And continue to say they're suffering of, on that, you know, that th they continue to suffer the burdens of the legacy of slavery, which I don't think are deniable. We like to think it was ancient history. It wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. And just keep going on letting that be this albatross around the country's neck. I'm saying that the conversation would have to be extraordinarily frank. We're having this discussion because we want to end the conversation of slavery. That doesn't mean we're ending the conversation of race relations. Right. That doesn't mean we're ending a poverty or oppression. We're saying we've atoned for slavery. This one sort of micro issue within this big complex set of issues, we've righted through this payment. And, you know, I don't know, maybe you could have some sort of symbolic paperwork that is signed that says you take your check, you therefore wait, you know, same as if you were going into a settlement of a lawsuit. You sign something saying, going forth, I cannot talk about or certainly lean on or, you know, complain about slavery anymore because I, this has been atoned for. It would have to be part of an extraordinarily frank conversation. That's why I cited the Malcolm X because, you know, I guess generally white Americans would have to be able to say, y'all, we fought, we solved for this. Back, remember in 2021 when we paid reparations that your argument is now null and void. You got some other beef, bring it up. Well, you know, and then you're going to be labeled a racist if you deny the second go around of reparation. So I don't know. I don't know. To, to what you've brought to the table today, as we're wrapping things up here, I would say you've made me think about it. I don't know if, I'm, if I've come to your side of the fence yet, but uh, it's certainly a conversation worth having, which is why I think, um, you know, this has been beneficial to take well, in all the things that you've mentioned here. And at the end of the day, maybe it is, maybe it's worth trying. Maybe it's worth saying, Hey, you know, we, we paid you for that. If you want, so if you I, still want to bitch about it, sorry about you. I got a couple other points I'd like to address. One, you made the point about what folks do with the money. I don't care. They right. can do whatever they want with it. Honestly, what's their business it's, at the end of the day. It, it's their absolutely money. their business and it's no different than a stimulus check. The point of a stimulus check is not for somebody to stick it in the bank and sit on it for 40 years. The point of a stimulus check is to spend it because it pumps money into the economy. Thanks, so if half, if half of the, whatever, <laughs> it still spends, right? It gets you what you paid for. Right, right. If half the people that received these reparations just went and blew it all in 60 days, God almighty, what would the stock market look like with $2 trillion of free money getting pumped into the economy? Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I don't care about that. I don't give a shit what they spend it on. Some of them I know would be responsible with it and make it a nest egg for, you know, a home or I would say a lot of them. I bet a lot of them would. It's, you know, I, I hate how we, and the left is terrible about this, but we sort of lump 40 something million people into, you know, sort of a microcosm of that, uh, of that group, but mm -hmm. you know, a good many of them. And one of the things, you know, that, that I think would be included in the consideration that certainly I would promote would be maybe you don't take a check. Maybe you take a tax exemption for life in exchange. Okay. Right. And they just say, Oh, I don't have to pay income taxes to the federal government anymore. That's, that's an option, right? There's, yeah. I guess there's point is there's more than one way to skin a cat, but 
you know, that would mitigate the impact. Okay. Um, the other, but I the would other, say, oh, let me ask you this though, but what about their kids? Do they have to pay income taxes for life? Because what, how do they benefit? Uh, I mean, no, the, there have, would have to be, you're right. There would have can't to have be 45 million people just on the free and clear plan of paying no income tax in perpetuity as our population continues to expand. Agreed. No, I, we couldn't. And again, that's where a, a true, honest, no holds barred and very frank conversation would be had to be had. I guess my position would be that benefit on the day that it's signed accrues to every descendant of American slavery aged 18 years or older. And therefore every generation to come thereafter is the benefit of what their parents got beneficiary of what their parents got. Right. right? So if you've got a well-to-do black man who's making a damn good living and says, you know what, I'd rather take the, lifetime exemption, exemption from taxes. Um, my guess would be somebody who's taken that approach is going to put a little of that money away and that's going to be the benefit to those kids, mm-hmm. right? What he was able to save instead of having to pay his uh, or her uh, income taxes, right? right? Which are substantial, especially if you making a decent living, right? And the other thing I would put forth is that this, this idea of sort of future claims and all that stuff, the, the law, the bill that made it through the House and the Senate and would ultimately be signed by the president that would provide this funding would start. I mean, the title of the thing would be something like, you know, reparations for the descendants of American slavery. And then in the first paragraph, it would say unequivocally, this act you know, hereby acknowledges the the sins of our country's history and atones for it forevermore, right? You you put it in print. And here's the thing, and this is why, to me, it hasn't ever been taken seriously to date, and all the Democrats have ever been willing to do is talk about a study. They don't want to do that. The left absolutely does not want to vote on and sign off on a piece of paper that says that they're giving up the right to complain about the sins of our, you know, of this country's forefathers. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do that. It gives them that emotional plea to African-Americans and it always will. So, you know, let's talk about it from a straight political brass knuckles, brass tacks standpoint. There would be African-Americans in this country, a lot of them, who would say, this is all we've been asking for for 100 years. Do it. And you put the Democrat, like, imagine, dude, imagine if Donald Trump stepped up and said, I want to pay reparations. Let's do this. And he got the Republicans on board, making the same basic arguments that we've made today. And all of a sudden, it was the Republican, dude, dude, the Republican Party comes forward and says, we're going to make right for this. Right? Yeah. And the Democrats said no. I was, I got in on this and, and I think we got off on a tangent. And I know when I brought up Obama, 67, I think, percent of, of registered African Americans voted for him in his first term, go around 63 in his next. For Hillary Clinton, 59% of registered African Americans turned out to vote and she lost. There is a considerable, you know, sort of theory within modern American politics that says that if that number is below 60, the Democrats can't win, period, a national election. That's how crucial and important African-Americans are to Democrats. Without them, they just don't win. And if there are black men all across the country who are saying, you know, we actually kind of like America. Yeah, it's got its shortcomings. Yeah, we're still, you know, digging ourselves out of the hole y'all put us in, but you know, maybe it's better than living in Nigeria or wherever. Sure. You know? A third world and country. Name the all country. we're asking for. Yeah. All we're asking for is this atonement for this sin against our ancestors and we can move on with life. <laughs> look at, look at the rest. Look at the rest of, we've talked about this, but look at the rest of Republican policies. You hear Black men, it, well, if you can find them, because the left stream, left media certainly doesn't want you to hear them say it. But there are black men all the time stepping up and saying, 
you know, what sucks is I'm kind of down with the idea of personal responsibility and I don't like the government in my business. And, you know, yeah. I'm a Christian and a family man and I believe I should be able to speak whatever's on my mind. And I'd prefer if the police actually patrolled my neighborhood. <laughs> right. And I don't believe in, in eradicating or defunding the police. Exactly. Yeah. They line, dude, they, there are black folks across the country, huge millions of them that line up line for line with Republican orthodoxy. But the narrative has been hijacked by the left. And, you know, generally speaking, they've been a voting bloc for the left. So if the Republicans stepped up and said, we're ready to atone, we're serious about this. One caveat, the document is going to say, this is the end of it. But we're going to throw some real money at this problem. Dude, like you said, landslide. And by the way, in the last, it's been completely overwhelmed by the fact that, you know, he's in the hospital right now. But like four days ago, Trump's threw out there the idea of a half a billion dollars for some sort of reparations program. He knows that this is the conversation in the black community. The, the state of California knows that this is the conversation in the black community. There's a reason why this is getting traction, man. Well, There's going just, back to what we've said a lot over the first few episodes is liberal ideology often stems from a worthy place, but the delivery is always flawed. For sure. And, and the delivery here would be super tricky and it would be a big old complicated mess. And, you know, again, proving lineage and all that stuff. I, I'm not sitting here saying it's easy by any stretch, but I am yeah. saying I, for one, don't deny that a wrong was done, that the vibrate, the ramifications and the, the reverberations of this are still felt today. And like I said, I, I'll take any man at his word who says this would go a long way towards solving this problem for us, for, for, for them, for black people, uh, if, if we could find a way to get this done. But again, it would have to be a conversation that, like I said, I know the left's not willing to have in yeah. terms of what there has to be given up to get this atonement. And, um, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I think there are folks who are willing to have it. And um, yeah, like I said, the, the, the sort of the brass tacks you know, bare knuckle politics of part of it to me is like you want to uh, cripple your opponents forever, come out and be the voice of this. Uh, yeah. 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 It certainly would have that effect. A um, couple other things as we are wrapping up one, well, one specific, uh, specifically 40 acres and a mule. That was Sherman's uh, special field orders. Number 15 issued on January 16th, 1865. So I think there's, um, you know, some misinformation there, misinformation. A lot of people believe 40 acres and a mule were promised to the black union fighters by Lincoln. That's not really the case. And most of them didn't get that unless they went to the sea islands. Uh, 40, let's see, 400,000 total acres was divided into 40 acre plots. Once that was, uh, that allotment was over, they started just when they started opening up millions of acres in like Florida, Louisiana, but most of the land that they offered was deemed like white people had already deemed it unfarmable, like not suited for right. agriculture. Swamp so land. It was it was yeah. swamp land. Right. right. So it was worthless. Uh, yeah. and then a, a lot of these uh a lot of the folks who did get land as early as like by well, starting with the Great Depression, uh 75% of them either had sold it or, or abandoned it. So, you know, it, it truly the 40 acres and a mule concept uh, didn't, didn't work out for most African-Americans after the war. Um, trying to think if there's anything else to hit on factually. I don't, I don't think we missed anything, uh, but I think this has been a great conversation, man. And um, I don't know, I don't know how it would play out, but I guess it wouldn't hurt as long as we're printing fake money. Well, <laughs> right. With the one thing I've said is that, well, okay, now you've opened up that can of worms. Is it going to be a habitual thing? But, you know, it's worth it. It might be worth it anyway. So, um, man, to me, that is as simple as saying unequivocally, this is what this is for, putting it in the document yeah. uh, and being willing to stand on that and be strong and firm about it. And I think there would be a meeting of the minds uh, with a lot larger group or a lot larger percentage of, of uh, you know, again, descendants of slavery 
um, than, you know, than one might think. That's not to say the left won't continue to try to make an issue of it, but yeah. you know, if you totally turn the tide with one fell swoop, then the left kind of almost becomes irrelevant. Uh, they'll find, you know, there are other avenues in, you know, communism is here and it's not going anywhere and only seems to be growing, but you know, well, let's we could fight at least that next week. stem let's the fight. tide. Yeah, yeah, we let's should. Talk communism coming up on our next episode. I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, Chisholm, thanks for bringing this to the forefront. Interesting topic, no doubt. Uh, for Chisholm Cook, I'm Cable Smith. And y'all, thanks for checking out Justified Pursuit. Mm-hmm.